Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The headlines are saying a high-speed train between L.A. and Las Vegas is coming. But, okay, that pitch has been bouncing around for at least the past 40 years. But this time, this time, could it be real? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Nevada Independent reporter Gabby Bierenbaum about the Brightline West Rail Project. We raise issues that will make the most cynical Las Vegan proud, but Gabby lays down the facts as to why Brightline has gotten closer than anyone ever has and what's happening right now that could make it a reality. It's Tuesday, May 30th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Gabby Birnbaum, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Well, nice to meet you. And okay, I'm going to give you this. I've lived in Las Vegas most of my whole life, and I think that I've been hearing about some iteration of a train, a high-speed train, a bullet train, a maglev train, whatever it is, coming from LA to Las Vegas that entire time. I, f- I feel like the uh, Charlie Brown approaching the Lucy holding the football, and I don't know what the You're football is. You're just waiting is. and waiting, yeah. <laughs> it's just going to get pulled every time. I don't think I'm alone when the heightened level of skepticism comes with every new announcement. So you interviewed a lot of stakeholders uh, for the story about this train that is allegedly, again, on its way here. Did you get the sense that this time things might be different and why? Yeah, no, I mean, you're definitely right. I think it's certainly been a white whale for across several decades for several different, you know, very important people in Nevada. And it's a little bit like, okay, well, if Harry Reid wasn't enough and if Sig Rogich wasn't enough and if all these important people couldn't get it done, why should I believe that it can get done now? But exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The overwhelming impression I got from, you know, whether it was Tina Quigley, who used to run um, the RTC or whether it was the the congressional delegation in Nevada, or from people with Brightline itself, it seems to me that there's sort of two things that are animating people's confidence about the situation now, as opposed to in the past. One is that they're much farther along in the sort of permitting process than they ever got before. So whether it was Maglev, or like the sort of gambler's train to Victorville that people would talk about, this is except for one final environmental record of decision, I believe. All the permitting is done. All the right-of-ways are done. It's supposed to run in between I-15. So they don't have to like acquire various parcels of land from every different county municipality because it's on that median on you know highways, which are federally owned and state-managed. California high-speed rail, if you've heard about that, but, you know that project has been... Uh, seemingly in the weeds for as long as the Vegas to LA one where every, you know, there's a new announcement every year, but nothing happens. 
this, you know, they really are getting pretty close to, I don't know if we're on a football field, I don't know exactly what yard line, but it seems like they're at least like potentially field goal range, I would think, Whoa. in terms of all okay. the permitting and stuff that needs to get done. And the final piece uh, on here, the permitting right, part on the permitting. On the, part. Oh, yeah, for sure. OK, permitting okay. part, it, permitting part. It seems like they're in the red zone, I would say. Maybe okay. overall they're in field goal range. It's in it's in sight. And the piece now that they're working on is the funding piece. And the sort of two big differences here are that one, as opposed to some of the options in the past, this is a private company that has a record of success in Florida. So I think that's what people are really enthused and excited about. So this is not their first rodeo. They've done this before. They've done this successfully and they believe profitably. So when they look at this like LA to Vegas route and they say, we can do this, you know, they Brightline has some success to back up that that assessment, one. And then two, the federal money that they've appropriated through the bipartisan infrastructure law is much more federal money than we ever had in the stimulus bill in 2009, the last time there was sort of excitement about high-speed rail that never panned out because of these provisions. There was, you know, the, the funding, someone described it to me as there's always peanuts for rail. And maybe that bill was a few peanuts and this bill, now we have a handful of peanuts for rail. So it's still small compared to overall need. But for this particular project, it seems like there's a real chance they can get some some pretty significant funds. Yeah. And just to clarify, this is a, a pot of money that they're seeking but have not yet been awarded, right? Right, right. So, okay. yeah. You know, Las Vegas in a lot of ways uh, bases itself on a concept of psychopathic optimism. I mean, that's <laughs> what gambling is. That's why we make a billion dollars a month. But, you know, the billionaire behind this uh, is a fellow named Wes Edens. Mm -hmm. uh, and you indicated that he has a successful florida train route that's much smaller much different what are the what are the real differences between this florida example and what they're trying to accomplish between las vegas and la yeah so they're projecting they need 10 billion dollars to complete the construction for las vegas to la and then uh for the florida train it was six billion dollars to do that and they pretty much stayed on budget for that which is you know a good portent that they could realistically do it in 10 billion for the train out west you know it's a true so the one they're looking at between la and vegas that's a true high speed train um the kind that we don't have in the united states right now they have these types of trains in asia we don't have any true high speed rail in the u.s so this is a different kind of train even that they're looking mm -hmm. at so it's it's a much more expensive project it's a much larger distance the distance is about the same. So they're opening this year in Florida. They're opening it from where they are in South Florida all the way to Orlando. And that's their, what they expect is going to be the real moneymaker. Um, so right now it goes between several cities in South Florida. To go out to Orlando and they're going to the airport there, they believe that's the distance that they're looking at between 200 and 300 miles, which is a similar distance between what's going to be Rancho Cucamonga and, uh, and Las Vegas. And so that's sort of Wes Edens, this billionaire that we're talking about, that's his operating vision, a sort of modus operandi for this stuff is if you can take a pair of cities that's a little too far to drive, that makes driving annoying, but so close that it makes flying kind of dumb, then you can realistically, I think their goal is to get 20% of the people who currently take this trip by car to take it by train instead. And at that rate, they believe they can make a profit. That does seem to be the dream. So one of the holdups right now, you mentioned an environmental study, and I want to talk about that in a second, but I also want to talk about this funding um, they're going after this federal bipartisan infrastructure money. It's a billions p potentially for their project. 
But couldn't someone just argue, why are they even waiting for that? Why couldn't a billionaire simply dip a little further into his own funds or get his own network of Richie Riches together and uh, just not even bother with that? Just keep moving forward if this is really a deal. Yeah, I guess that's a fair question. I, I think they'd probably say, well, the money's there. So let's let's apply for it. I mean, this, this money is appropriated through the bipartisan infrastructure law. There's uh, $10 billion specifically to con- for private companies to apply for to connect uh, you know, intercity rail in areas like the West that are not typical rail corridors. So the money's there. It's, you know, it's pretty much going to be bright line versus this California high-speed rail project for the funds. It's not like there's tons of companies that are jumping at the opportunity to do this. It takes, you know, real, we have a bit of a lack of rail expertise in the country just because we haven't relied on or built out rail in, you know, uh, in such a large way since uh, the advent of the highway in the 50s, right? when they expanded, the, when they did the interstate highway system. So it's not like there's huge competition for this money, but it is being funded at levels that, you know, was previously unseen. So I think from their perspective, the fact that there's a role for public financing and the fact that I think, you know, Wes Eden certainly has a sort of long-term vision for this project where it's not going to be profitable in the first one, two, three, however many years, but he sees this as being part of the broader transportation future decades down the line. Uh, and so in terms of financing for now, when you're financing for a project that is not expected to be profitable until years down the line, I imagine having some level of public funding goes a long way towards convincing investors and whoever else that this is worthwhile. Yeah. And and so does it does it then look like we're only competing with one other entity for that sweet, sweet pot of federal money? I think that's what the expectation is. And so basically, there's six billion available for funding. And they can't honor both, uh, you know, the Brightline project as well as the California High Speed Rail project. They can't honor the full request of both. But I was talking to Dina Titus, who's, you know, the um, the congresswoman from District 1. Obviously, she has she's, you know, been on various rail commissions over decades at this point. She wants to be an optimist about this. That's the thing she wants. But in, in sort of being having been through rail battles of the past, she really feels like the Brightline application is coming in with a strong hand, given that they have the track record of success in Florida. They have far more of the permitting stuff figured out than the California high-speed rail. And it's a pretty popular idea as opposed to the California one, which has lost a lot of favor as its you know projections for budget have kept ballooning and ballooning and ballooning over the years. So she feels like with what she saw, and she was in Congress in 2009 when there was that last moment of funding for high-speed rail and people were excited and it didn't pan out. And she really feels like this time is different. Gabby, is that a private or a public uh, entity that's trying to put that L.A. to San Francisco project together? I believe it's a public entity. Um, And that's part of the reason that it's been so, so difficult to get the money. Do you think that might give them a little advantage being a, a public entity over a, a private person seeking federal funds? Um, I mean, it's a good question. I don't exactly know sort of what the determinations that the Department of Transportation is going to sort of think about and deliberate on. But I, I do think that the fact that Brightline had success in Florida, I, I do think that's a real thing they're looking for in terms of credibility to authorize you know billions of dollars worth of loans. So it could be, but and also $3.75 billion, which is what Brightline's asking for for LA to Vegas is going to go a lot longer in a project, going to go a much bigger way for a project that has a $10 billion estimated cost. Whereas the California one, their estimated cost is, I believe, 
at this point. It's definitely in the tens of billions, if not the hundreds. So the just the size of the loan for the Brightline project would go a much longer way. And I have to imagine they might weigh that as well. That's interesting. I, I also wonder, you know, federal money never comes without some strings. Do we know about those strings? And is that something that Eden's group, Brightline, can meet? Yeah. So the last time that, you know, there was the idea of a loan coming for this exact trade. One of the reasons it got derailed was because during the Obama administration, there was a Buy American provision for these sort of high-speed rail parts that was just impossible to meet because we don't make high-speed trains in America. There's no sort of supply chain for it. Um, Obviously, this has as well become a bit of a sticking point with clean energy, particularly in the Biden administration, because a lot of the industries that they want to stand up in the U.S., that they want to reshore, we just are not at the capacity yet to, to make those parts in America. And they have Buy American provisions as well. They have union labor provisions, all these things. And one of the things that will work in their favor in terms of getting the loans that they already have a project labor agreement in place with a bunch of unions in both California and Nevada. Brightline does does have that. Yeah. So it it might depend how strictly they enforce by America, how much if they're willing to approve a waiver for high speed rail. I think that's going to play out as the applications get processed and exactly how strict that by America provision could be. If it were going to get derailed in any way, I could see it once again being over the Buy America stuff, which would be tragic because we already we already lost, you know, the potential for a loan to that exact reason 10, 15 years ago. So I would hope that they learned. <laughs> so Gabby, I, I can't avoid the history books just because. I mean, it's it's like generational trauma at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, we actually did have a series of train lines operating between Southern California and Vegas at various points in the 60s and the 70s. I, I remember one maybe as late as 1997. Yeah, I think that's when the Amtrak shut down the service. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why did those previous lines stop? Was there just not enough demand or was there something else? That's a good question. I mean, I haven't looked into it. I would imagine it had to do with probably just overall cuts to Amtrak. As someone who takes Amtrak frequently, um, being the lucky the lucky few who live in the Northeast Corridor, um, I, I they're seemingly always having some sort of budgetary issues and problems with that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was just cuts in the 90s. And Brightline seems to have an answer to everything, but why would the problems that have plagued previous train lines not affect them? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's a fair question. Um, I mean, the main thing they did when they, in 2018, took ownership of sort of the existing idea is that the original plan, you know, was started in 2005 that had gone under Desert Express and various names like that was that the train was going to go to Victorville. And the, the first thing that Brightline said was that doesn't make sense. And so, they, yes, it was much it was much mocked. <laughs> yes. The much L.A. The much and Victorville, Victorville are not the same. Right. Right. As anyone from L.A. would tell you and then go into a long explanation of like exactly what roads you would need to take to get there. But, right. Um, and their, their solve was to extend all the way to Rancho Cucamonga, which I'm sorry I stole your thunder. I love saying Rancho Cucamonga, <laughs> but that's not exactly LA either. No, and it's I've actually been to Rancho Cucamonga and it was a solid like 45 minute hour long drive from where I was in LA. But the important connection that they make is that it connects to Metrolink, which is the LA, you know, regional metro. Whether or not you believe that people in LA are going to really embrace public transit, I guess depends on your view of people in LA. Uh, as an East Coaster, I try not to. I try not to make generalizations about them, but um, but I think the idea is that because Vegas is such a you know touristy destination, people are going to be 
they might be going for work, but I think the overall presumption is that they're going for pleasure. And so they might be more willing to uh, sort of take a trek as long as it's not a trek to Victorville. I think about it as a little like I have a friend who lives in, in Hoboken. So when I go visit it, which is in New Jersey, when I go visit her, I take the Amtrak train to New York. Then I get off and then I take the PATH train, which is the local New Jersey train to go to Hoboken. It's annoying, but if you're committed to it, you can do it. So I think it just yeah. depends. Brightline's banking, there's demand for that. And I guess I guess we'll have to see. And and see if uh, the Las Vegans take to that East Coast habit. Although I would imagine taking BART to the Caltrain in the Bay Area would probably be a very similar experience too. It's just something that we've never done as Las right. Vegans. Right. If there's that sort of appetite for public transit from either, yeah, Angelinos or Las Vegans that right. we, we definitely have <laughs> on the East Coast. <laughs> and we are a special breed. Okay. <laughs> so we talked a lot about the federal funding, the the pool of money that they're competing for and they may or may not get. There's a suggestion that the billionaire is going to be able to go without it, though we prefer not to. What other hard hurdles remain for Brightline West? beyond the money. So once we assume the money issue is resolved one way or another, I, I've never seen a checklist, you know, of these are the things that have to happen. So what are we what are we waiting for after the money? After the money, it's just can they can they do the construction? And that's certainly that's no easy task either because plenty of big infrastructure projects set a timeline for construction then go way beyond it. And and beyond cost too. I mean, let's be real that sometimes sometimes that happens. Yep, staying on cost and staying on time, both big challenges. I've been told that their both their ten billion budget and their expected three and a half year construction are both ambitious, but not out of the realm of possibility is how it's been described. It's not impossible, but it's ambitious for sure. Yeah. Now you did mention earlier that there was one environmental consideration that hasn't been resolved yet. Yeah, so they just need one last environmental permit for the last section of the train between Victorville and Rancho Cucamonga. Um, but that's already been through public comment and it got reported favorably by the federal government who's in charge of th that permitting process, basically that they said this looks like a, you know, it's compatible with environmental concerns and any tribal concerns that they don't sort of foresee any, any major issues. So that's a good sign. And um, that's supposed to, that decision is supposed to come out this summer. All right. Last question, Gabby. So if somehow this time it's real, the football is kicked. Mm -hmm. What do you think a high-speed rail line would do for Las Vegas? Uh, I mean, I think you really can't understate the potential in a lot of different respects. I mean, the economic boon, this is, you know, if they can just divert as their goal is 20% of the people who already come to Vegas to not have to sit in traffic. And who knows how many people that's keeping on any given weekend from not coming because they don't want to sit in traffic. You know, the economic boom from people who are coming in for the weekend, spending money at businesses in Vegas, going to casinos, going to shows, going to dinner, what have you. There's a whole, you know, boon to the economy that comes from that. Jobs, both in the construction, there's going to be, you know, thousands of jobs. And then in the actual just operation of the train, once it's running day to day, those are going to provide steady jobs. And then the environmental benefit is a big, uh, a big draw for people. Like we were talking about, you know, if they successfully can run this train on just green energy. It's both promoting that clean energy. One of the biggest pollution sectors of all pollution comes from transportation. And a huge part of that is just from sitting in your car. One of the worst things you as an individual can do for the environment is sitting in your car idling in traffic for hours on end. You know, it's not your fault. But if there was a train option and, you know, you can just divert all that pollution coming from cars and get rid of it, 
that has the potential to be hugely environmentally impactful. Which I guess is why people are so excited about it. And here you are telling us we're just one field goal kick away, uh, so long as we don't get a penalty on that environmental thing, which looks good. Gabby, thank you so much for joining us on CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Before you go, here's what we're tracking in the news. The National Weather Service says the 100-degree temperatures we're used to seeing in May, well, they're not even going to show up until possibly mid-June this year. We came close on April 30th at 98 degrees, our hottest day so far. But with a few weeks of semi-relief from the triple-digit horror show that is typical Las Vegas summer, you may want to sneak in a few more Red Rock hikes. And while it may not hit 100 in the next few weeks, the Nevada Department of Transportation is reminding people it's still super hot. In fact, during the summer months, NDOT's Freeway Service Patrol sees an average 20% increases in roadway incidents and disabled vehicles on the side of the freeway, often because drivers do not take proper steps to prepare for warmer weather. So make sure to check your tire pressure and treads, keep plenty of fuel in your tank, and pack extra water bottles. They're good for both a dehydrated body and an overheating car. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. So you think Brightline's going to make it over the finish line? Head over to our social media platforms at CityCast Vegas and tell us yes, no, or ha 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 ha. <laughs> and if you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Do you, do you think that it's still a win if it's only 125 miles an hour and not 185 is promised? I think any train is a win. Uh, I would I would certainly when I when I talk to my coworkers at the Indy who are from Vegas, I feel like people would just be excited to if this train in whatever whatever formation finally came to fruition. Yeah, I mean we did get a downgrade from what Elon Musk promised with the underground tra- uh, tunnels right, and right. You know, very different than what was promising people still seem to be okay. Well, some people.